Welcome back to When God Was Queer. I'm your co-host, Dakota St. Clair, and I'm joined by my two incredible, lovely, wonderful co-hosts. I'm Vince Vance. And I'm Daphne Malfitano. And we are back for episode three. We're really excited about this episode, honestly, because we built, we laid a lot of groundwork. You know, episode one, Primordial Gods. Episode two, The Titans. Episode three, Introduction of the Olympians, sort of. But also, like, how a lot of the story and the narrative that we've laid the groundwork for will actually come to a head. So that's pretty exciting, and we're really, really grateful for the chance to share it with you. So to give us some context, just so that we remember who the main players are, when we last left off, we had discussed the greater and lesser titans, the 12 elder titans and their many offspring. Those 12 were divided into six titan gods and six titan goddesses, who were technically known as titanides, like the oceanides. Hmm. We didn't even do, like, how's everybody feeling? Titan meeting. Whatever. It's fine, right? Who gives a shit how they're feeling? (laughs) (laughs) You know what it is by now. Yeah, right. Exactly. What is it? Episode three? Get it together. Oh, my God. You know what you came here for. Um, All right. So, uh, all right. So, first up, we have the six male titans. We have Oceanus, uh, who is the world river, father of all rivers. Coas, who's rational thought. Creus, whose heavenly constellations in the measure of the year. Hyperion, whose watchfulness, wisdom, and light. Iapetus, whose mortality. Cronus, whose father time. And then we have the Titanesses, uh, or Titanides. We have Tethys, the Oceanic Great Mother. Phoebe, whose prophetic wisdom. Themis, whose divine law and order. Thea, whose sight, shining things, precious metals, and gems, and glory. And we have Nemesini, memory, words, and language, and Rhea, whose earth, ancestry, and generations. It's important to remember that the Titans were all paired together. They were all married together. They all had children, except for two of the Titanesses, which would be Themis and Nemesini, actually were paired with or married to Zeus at one time or another, and they bore children with him. So we were thinking that to kick off today's episode, we would like to bring back everybody's favorite segment, Popstar Pantheon. Popstar Pop star Pantheon. 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 <laughs> Pantheon. We have to run an actual jingle now. That was frighteningly smooth. That was so. I didn't even know they were going to do that. I think it actually would be really fun because we kind of started it last week, but we didn't really fill it all out. Let's start off with the primordial gods, just like the main six, and we'll cast them and then we'll do the titans. Who would. <laughs> be cast as chaos we kind of came down to josephine baker or sister rosetta tharp josephine baker we just gotta go like original so many things are possible because of josephine baker i feel like like really like a whole different world of like ways to be were birthed from the work of josephine baker so i feel like chaos for sure i mean i definitely think that there's a striking image of josephine baker <laughs> like bare-breasted, banana skirt, dancing up a furious storm, and sort of like, gee, can you see this as, like, any other deities 
from pantheons across the world who like dance the world into existence and also out of it like that's just like yeah. incredible so yeah josephine baker as like primordial queen i'm all about it absolutely gets my vote um <laughs> and a queer icon which like hello let's go <laughs> Next, we have Tartarus. Tartarus is the abyss. I think Screaming Jay Hawkins could be a great Tartarus, but I also think Rosetta Tharp could be Tartarus if we're like if we're trying to keep like the grandmothers around. That's true. We have to remember this has to be a person, a place, and a thing. Yeah. And the only person that I can think of that fits all three of those, I said it last week, I'll say it again, I'm Team Patty, y'all can die mad, it is Aretha Franklin, <laughs> the bottomless abyss. I'm not sorry. That doesn't reflect the views of everyone no, on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's just. <laughs> but I like Tartarus, so I think that's okay. I think I think Aretha can be Tartarus. That's not yeah, a bad I also, thing. I, I think of it sonically also as a place where either people return to when they're done doing whatever else. Oh, I like that. Or it's just like, you know, before modern pop, this is just where the legends lived, was in this like kind of vocal place uh, i feel like aretha franklin has that voice that just kind of lays foundation for a lot of people even if they move off of it um so i feel like like you know tartar is good i could see tartar that's good reasoning i mean yeah absolutely the way that you painted is that you know that vocal ability is quite elusive kind of like how it's eluded her since I, the early 70s not, but you know it's fine it's not um, what i said at all <laughs> no but i mean you know here's the thing she's inevitable she's inexorable and we'll never escape her. So, yeah, I do think she's Tartarus. Um, you know, I think that that <laughs> absolutely makes on. a lot of sense. <laughs> We're going to agree to agree. <laughs> then we have Eros. So Eros is desire embodied. That one's hard. That one is hard. It's weirdly hard because it should be easy, but I think there's just too many. There's a I've... lot of options. Ways to go. I know this is like chronologically inaccurate, but I feel like it's Prince. Oh, no, that works. That makes sense. I don't think there's anything wrong with that assertion yeah, I at mean, all. Because, well, yeah. like, even the way that Eros kind of shows up in, like, two, like two different kind of chronological places in, in the whole Greek situation. Based and off of... both could be Prince. Yeah. They're both yeah. Prince. Yeah. They're both yeah. Prince. Every facet of Eros is Prince. Oh, hi, I'm the living embodiment of desire. <laughs> Settled. Settled. Yeah. Honestly. Erebos, the darkness. Now, I oh. said Little Richard last week because... I still like that, yeah. Erebus doesn't get a lot of, like, credit, right? Like, you can't have the night without darkness, and so that's why Erebus and Nyx are complementary. Erebus contributes to a lot of things, like some important children, and isn't necessarily depicted as, like, a dickhead. We don't really know that much about Erebus, except for that it's just, like, the personification of darkness, but is also mm -hmm. very, very important in the grand scheme of things. And to me, I'm like, oh, cool. That's Little Richard, the architect of everything, who's never gotten his fair due, his fair shake, or his fair credit. So to me, that just makes a lot of sense. I don't know. I think, that's fair. I think it's fair. I think we all agree. Yeah. That's a good one. Okay, so next we have Gaia. Did we decide last week? That Gaia's Janet Jackson? Like... Oh, right. I see. I, now I remember. <laughs> but, then, but see, like, now that, we've, now that we've kind of given, like, who the scope of, like, everybody who's in the Primordials is, I would yeah. retract. I would mm -hmm. respectfully retract. If, if we can make her Raya, then I will give my whole pitch then. But you, there's no reason that Gaia can't be like Tina Turner. Oh, Gaia's Tina uh... Turner. That is great. Because the relationship between her yeah. and Aranos, don't tell me Aranos is not Ike. Yes. Oh, my goodness. That's very good. Uh... Yep. Who else could be Gaia besides Tina? Hmm. Tina Turner. <laughs> Are you going to make an argument if, if 
Tartarus is not Aretha. Is Gaia Aretha? Yeah, I, I mean, feel like... that definitely works. Yeah. Are you sure? Mm. Yeah. Well, Gaia never eats her young, so I kind of feel like that doesn't make a lot of sense for Aretha. Like, You're just... You. <laughs> why are you turning this into this kind of podcast? <laughs> it's now this kind of podcast. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, we've talked about how Gaia is a fucking motherfucker for, like, half of this podcast so far. <laughs> She does coordinate the downfall of several very important figures, and I think that that... Okay, fine, yes, fine, okay. Hmm. What if Tartarus, in that sense of inevitability, was Little Richard or Chuck Berry? Chuck Berry. Chuck Berry. Berry. And that would make Erebos... I personally feel like Erebos could easily be Grace Jones, just saying. Oh. Um, I could also see, like, Aranos as Chuck Berry, too, just in terms of temperament. He's, like, <laughs> amazing, necessary, but, like, Chuck Berry, and I'm from St. Louis, yo. Like, I've I've hung out in high school next to the statue of Chuck. Like, you know what I mean? Like, um, but there's some terrible things <laughs> that I feel like Chuck Berry did, even mm-hmm. though, like, fundamental for music. And I feel like Aranos, that, that makes a lot of sense. So, okay, if Chuck Berry's Aranos... Does that make James Brown Kronos? No, because James Brown didn't eat anyone, I feel like. Mm. You know? Yeah. That a, yeah. Mm. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. Debating cannibalism. Debating celebrity cannibalism. <laughs> We're going to say Aretha's Gaia, that Tartarus is... Little Richard. Mm-hmm. Nyx. Nyx is your, your mama. So, that's uh, it. Yeah, I, th- I think it has to be because that's your that's your girl. You better say your prayers because she could sing the heavens down into the seas and we'll all die happy. <laughs> that's it. She's That woman showed up to the White House and sang the roof in and almost had to go to prison for assassinating, attempted assassination. That woman <laughs> is... She is here by divine right and by divine might. Okay, that is why she's here. <laughs> okay, so that's our primordials. Aranos and Gaia have the Titans, and then you've got Oceanus. So who's like the great world river? Babyface. <laughs> Babyface? <laughs> Babyface. <laughs> didn't we ha- didn't we have one for this? For Oceanus? Yeah, I said it was Celine Dion. Oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Coes, who's rational thought. Oh, mm. I said Herbie Hancock, but I feel like Herbie Hancock is, like, a little bit more, like, rational thought is, like, there, but it's, like, an exploration of rational thought, not just its existence. I don't know. That's a hard one. Rational. I have no idea what you just said. <laughs> I'm gonna just go ahead and point that out. That was word salad to my mind. If you want to explain it, I'm happy to sit through it. But I really, genuinely, there were words and none of them landed. I heard rational twice, and that was it. I was just <laughs> Herbie Hancock. I feel like has so much incredible technical skill and information that he's working with, but he uses it to do really like whimsical things musically that like mm. no one else can do because they just don't have that. He's like a wizard, right? Like they've studied arcane things for so long, 
that they have that, but then the way that it's expressed is just like, I can make a monkey turn into a dragon. (laughs) (laughs) And I feel like that's Herbie Hancock's like imprint on music is like, there's nothing I cannot do. Mm. Like, (laughs) like watch me turn this piano, like into cars making drums or something really random like that, which is not necessarily how I like associate rational thought as, as opposed to someone who can use rational thought. Fuck. <laughs> I think rational thought would be Fiona Apple. Oh, that's very good. Because that is somebody Definitely. who is n- yeah. not here for the party. Not no. at all. I was trying, I was trying <laughs> to think of like a buzzkill. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. There it is. I like that. Um, Krius is Heavenly Constellations and the Measure of the Year. Hear me out. Mariah Carey. You always know what time yeah, of year it is, totally. depending yeah. on when her music comes on. One, oh my god! <laughs> no, one hundred percent, three million percent, yeah. six thousand, three thousand percent, right? Yeah, that's, the, the, that's it. Innumerable. I can, just, I can just hear the beginning of that song in my head right now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh my god! And all the music. Yeah. No, for sure. One hundred percent. She's also an Aries, which is like you know why she's fantastically successful and now doesn't know when to like hang it up, which is sad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, girl, you've put in your dues. What are you What are you trying to sing live things. for anymore? All yeah, you can do, do is hurt stuff. your legacy. Like, you literally have more number ones than anybody else ever, and you wrote all of them. Like, chill out. You can happily so, stay home. Happily. Like, if somebody's talking about, like, a vocal athlete, you're always in the conversation guaranteed. Just chill out. It's fine. So we have Hyperion, Watchfulness, Wisdom, and Light. Barbara Streisand. Oh my god, so good. You're so good at this game. That is so It just came to me. It just came to me. So Streisand. Yes. Papa, can you hear me? It's just it's it's a whole thing. You know what I mean? Um, -hmm. okay, so we've got Hyperion is and also like Hyperion is like Are you writing any of this down? No one's writing this down. We're never gonna write any of this. It's being recorded, it's fine. So we have Yapatus who's mortality. Now, do you make a joke about somebody who died young? Like, is it Janis Joplin? Is it Jimi Hendrix? Or do you go for, like, <laughs> you know, like, you do Gone Too Soon? You... I kind of feel like Yapatis is, like, two people. Like, it's, like, Sid and Nancy. Just, like, fighting at the Hotel Chelsea. I'm not even... I was about to say Sid Vicious. I'm not fucking kidding. In my head, I was like, you know who that is? It's Sid Vicious. A hundred percent. Call me psychic. Oh, my God. I'm not... It was coming out of my mouth as you said that. You oh. physically jumped off of your bed just now. That was, was very gratifying. <laughs> uh, well, what are you going to do? So Kronos is essentially like, you know, father time, progenitor of the Olympians. Da, 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 da. Now, I think obviously Kronos could be, let's see, James Brown, Michael Jackson. I mean, is there any reason that Kronos can't be Madonna? Like, I know that we picked her for Hera, but like, <laughs> if you really She's think about so it. Hera, though. She's so Hera, but also, like, being a tyrant that consumes anybody who comes after you and attempts to destroy them. Yeah, no, that, I mean, that definitely is her. Yeah. <laughs> She's also proven to exist throughout time. I don't know. I mean, it could also be, let's see. That's, yeah, ooh, let's go with Madonna. No, I feel like Madonna feels, yeah. She feels right. Although, she's also showing time, too. Honey, time marches on, and eventually you realize it's marching across your face. (laughs) (laughs) We've got Tethys, who is Oceanic Great Mother. So she's going to be, whoever we pick is married to Celine Dion. Yeah. Is the Great Mother. She has to give birth to 6,000 children. Mary J. Blige. 
is the children is the is the mother of everyone in current R and B and their like hardness mm. and ability to be hard and be in R and B. And like who else gets to talk about how much they're in pain and then have people be like, Yeah, but I still might That's the winner. In trouble. That, yeah, that's that's the winner. Yeah. Then we have Phoebe, who is prophetic wisdom. If Janet's not Gaia, Janet is Phoebe. Prophetic wisdom. Yeah, that works. That works. I could see that. Unbelievably ahead of her time. Made the best of New Jack Swing and knew when to hang it up, unlike Michael. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> Michael kept pushing New Jack Swing like 10 years past what needed to happen. She's just incredible, iconic, legendary. Love her. Uh, then we have Themis, who's divine law and order, which I still say I think is Whitney. Um, because yeah. when you're the benchmark by which great singers are measured, you are divine law and order. Whitney. So we have Thea next, who's sight, shining things, precious metals and gems and glory. Diana Ross. Oh, that could be Diana Ross. Yeah, perfect. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I just feel like, you know, Diana Ross, like every time I think of Diana Ross, it's like gold I and white. And like the a crown of like gold spikes. Diana Ross. From her. Wait I a think minute. So too. I think so too. Precious things. Okay, hold on, wait. I want to just point this out. Sight, shining things, precious metals and gems, glory. Explain to me why this is not Dolly Parton. Oh, it's totally Dolly Parton. Yeah. <laughs> but then we're, we're Diana Ross then. We're, we I think, I th- honestly, Diana Ross could arguably be one of the remaining two. So we've got Nemesini, whose memory, words, and language... That's got to be Tupac. Ooh. Words and language, and like, that's got to be Tupac. Or... Or is it Maya Angelou? Well, uh, I mean, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Or both. Or both. Or both. It's like they split the year up. If we're doing that, then I think we could also argue Toni Morrison um, in the sense of, like, the ability to keep telling stories and, like, how, like, in the 90s with, like, multiculturalism and stuff, like, Toni Morrison was like, hey, it's cool for black women to be writing. Like, everyone should listen to black women. Um. <laughs> yeah, this one's too competitive because okay. it's a good one. How about this? How about Nemesini is a triple goddess now? Because we can. Why not? This is our friggin' podcast. Yeah. So it's <laughs> so Nemesini is Maya Angelou, Toni Morrison, and Morrison. Audrey Lord. <laughs> is it Tupac, Asada Shakur, or Audrey Lord? I think now. I think we should just do Maya Angelou. I feel like Maya Angelou might just cover. Maya Angelou might might cover just cover it, yeah. the whole thing. If we just give it to my Angela. <laughs> okay, Rhea, Earth Ancestry Generations. Earth Ancestry and Generations. Do you know who the first person that popped in my head was? Who? Khalees. Uh, now, I don't think it's Too spicy. I don't know that that's too necessarily like, Rhea. too spicy. Oh my God, how dare you? The woman has an album named Food. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, Khalees being too spicy for Rhea. Mm. I don't I know. Like... I, I think... Because, like, here's a – because I think the thing, too, is, like, Rhea is not, like, down to have her children eaten. And I feel like someone from the 80s. Mm. Like, there's an 80s sound, like, voice that I'm hearing that is Rhea (laughs) that, like – You mean, like, Janet Jackson? It's not Paula Abdul. (laughs) Yo, I would fuck with Janet Jackson as Rhea. Yeah, we can move her. Because what was she before? Phoebe. Prophetic Wisdom. 
So yeah, no, Janet oh, yeah, Jackson yeah. as Rhea makes a lot more as Rhea. Oh my god, I just can't believe I did that. My drag name was as Rhea. So I immediately uh. just like as Rhea. Oh Jesus. Um. Okay, so we're saying Rhea, of course, is Janet Jackson. Who's Phoebe? Who's like? Oh, I know who it is. I know who Phoebe is. Go. It's Missy Elliott. Oh my goodness! Yes. Very good. You're yes. welcome. Perfect. You're welcome. Yeah. Prophetic Perfect. wisdom. That's it. I love yeah, that. Absolutely. Missy. Yeah. Which also means that Phoebe's partner here, Coes, who's rational thought, could be Fiona Apple, could be Timbaland. I was also thinking, uh, if we're going to use Missy Elliott, Timbaland. There's no way you don't use both. No, you can't use both. Yeah. Because yeah, yeah. in a, in a um, when I was, I was doing this concept album, I did something similar where I was like trying to figure out, like I was mapping music to like deified positions. Mm-hmm. Um, I just feel like at some point Jill Scott has to come into the into the conversation. You're goddamn right. I don't know when, but she has to be there. <laughs> oh, what if? Hold on. What if Jill Scott, Lettucey, Marsha Ambrosius, the Furies? Yeah. Mm. If the three of them harmonized on one note at even half volume, they could destroy yeah. every man alive. Yeah, that's yeah. fair. That's it. I will say, before we move on, just to give us one more shot at this, I also think that a main contender for Gaia would be Nina Simone. Oh. Yep. Uh, Fuck. You know what? Yeah. It's funny because, like, she's, like, so instrumental to a lot of the way that I think mm. that I don't even necessarily think of her as a musician a lot of times. Like, I just... Because of, like, her connection with James Baldwin, too. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think you're right. Like, I think Think of her as, thing. like, a philosopher mm-hmm. most of the time. Yeah. But, like, yeah, it came through music. And, I, yeah, that's... I love that for God. I do too. Well, because sometimes we forget that we're standing on Earth. Oh, and she's just like, you know, just the power, you know, just it's like everything about Nina Simone, right? I Please. Uh, you know, they both can be it. We'll say that she's a dual goddess. It's Nina well, Simone we're do that, and it's Aretha. Eartha Kitt in there. Eartha Kitt. Can Eartha Kitt go on? I Eartha think Kitt. Eartha Kitt. Her name's Eartha. <laughs> no, I know. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I like Eartha Kid as the alternative for Prince in in Eros. Oh, yeah. yeah you know what I mean? Sure. Oh, sure. oh, come on. Like, Eartha is just like yeah. the ultimate sex pot. Like, I just love yeah. her so oh, much. Yeah. That was, oh, I like her honestly more than Prince's Eros because I think Prince I do too. can go a lot of places mm-hmm. because of everything that Prince did. Like, I could see Prince's uh, later on as like even like Hermes, you know? I could see Prince just as like, Orpheus. Oh, yeah. Oh, because of like yes. not only most legendary musician in ancient Greece, but also incredibly mystical and esoteric. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, that does make sense. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yo, I love that. Yeah. Cool. We're gonna tackle the birth of Zeus. Dun dun dun. How's everybody feel about it? Ready. So ready. Unfortunate. I want you to just be ready to be mad. <laughs> I'm gonna be really mad. I'm already. Yeah. Mad. Because yeah. the mention. It's, it's one of those things where it's like. You really see it play out again later on with like Heracles, where it's like, wow, this is again the super bland, cishet, white, you know, protagonist Bullshit. who like has plot armor and never would have, <laughs> like, he's his own undoing half the time. How the fuck would he have survived this far? You know, like, it's just one of those things. It reminds me a lot of like The Walking Dead, where you're like, The oh, Walking yeah. Dead is an inherently flawed show because they never would have survived that long with Rick in charge. No, There's just exactly. no fucking way. <laughs> it never would have happened. <sighs> The birth of Zeus. All right, here we go. Um, In most accounts, the union between Rhea and Cronus was a happy one. That is, until they began to bear children. 
You see, despite his efforts, Cronus had slowly become his father, the tyrant Oranos. First, he betrayed Gaia and re-imprisoned his siblings, the Hecatonchires and the Cyclopes, in Tartarus, fearing that their formidable strength would be a constant threat to his rule. It'd be your own people. You know, and also, like, did you not see what happened to your dad when he did the same fucking thing? Like, you're the one who got the sickle. Do you not realize how this is going to go? <laughs> um, but he wouldn't stop there. Forever in his mind rang the prophecy that had been declared by Aranos and echoed by Gaia, that just as he had usurped his father's throne, one of his children was destined to overthrow him as well. Rhea would birth the first Olympians, Hestia, Demeter, Hera, Hades, Poseidon, and each time that Rhea gave birth to their first five children, Cronus, in his paranoia and suspicion, would take the baby and swallow it whole. So, so far so good. Yeah, so far so good. We're doing good. Now, hiding the infant that was later going to become mm -hmm. the king of the gods was not going to be an easy task. Rhea had to enlist the help of Mother Gaia, and Gaia sent her to Crete when the time came so that she could safely birth Zeus. Gaia gathered him up and was away with him in an instant, leaving behind a great stone wrapped in swaddling cloth. And it was this that Rhea presented to Kronos when he came asking after the newborn, ready to devour him. Uh, without a second thought, he tosses back the rock, gulping it down, and he goes on about his day, basically. What the so fuck? So that just means that Naruto is based off of the Greek story of Zeus's birth, because that was pretty much a substitution jutsu. Um, that's exactly how those work. Wow. Um, <laughs> again, I don't know what any of those words mean, and I'm excited that you're excited. Um. <laughs> so meanwhile Gaia has stolen away with the child through the night and found him a place hidden deep within Mount Dicti, Mount Aegean or Mount Ida it depends on who's telling it most often it's Mount Ida she left Zeus in the care of Amalthea the she-goat she's often depicted as fully a goat a satyr woman or a nymph with goat's horns Remember how I told you guys that, like, she-goats, she-bears, and she-wolves are basically social services for, like, abandoned children in ancient Greece? Right. Yeah. yeah. Goats are sick. Uh, so she uh, – Amalthea was his nurse and his protectress. She fed him her milk as well as the food of the gods, the nectar and ambrosia, so that he would, like, grow up strong and divine. She cared for him from infancy and came to love him very much, but they were not alone. You see, even from birth, Zeus was a mighty god. His cries and wails could be heard like thunder, and all feared that Cronus would take notice of the awful sound. <laughs> it's like, how did you not... You got him all the way to the mountain and you didn't plan for this? Like, So, Rhea appointed the Dactyls, or Dactyloi. They were five in number, and they were Daimonis. Uh, you know, they were personifications, and they were also divine warriors. They were set to guard the infant Zeus. And to keep him hidden from Cronus, every time that he cried, they would engage in frenzied, ecstatic war dances in which they clashed their spears and shields together to make the sound of thunder at the mouth oh. of the cave where Zeus was hidden. Ah, he's already a pain in the ass, making everyone work for him. Yeah. This is a lot of juke. Jupiterian energy slander. Um. <laughs> oh, the Sagges and their feelings. Here we go. Um, so, fun fact, dactyls or dactyloi means fingers. So, it should be no surprise that there were five of them. And they mm -hmm. had five sisters, the Hecaterides, and all of them were joined in marriage. This was seen as an ancient representation of hand-holding and the harmony that it symbolizes. Oh. Mm -hmm. That's cool. And from their unions were born the satyrs, the Oreads, who are mountain nymphs, and tribes of Coretes. 
We'll get to the credits in a second, but satyrs. I mean, like, let's just take a moment, please. Satyrs. Satyrs are just fucking rad. Like, they just yeah, are. they're awesome. awesome. <laughs> they're so cool. I, I just love them. Well, because... Just having fun all the time. Yeah, and they're also supposed to be... You know, they're, they're supposed to have a touch of the centaur, but overall, they're just more, like, party boys. They're more fun. They're, they're more, more fun. fun than centaurs who are, like, yeah. life-threatening. Serious. Like, yeah. <laughs> you know, Much like... serious. You never... There's never a story where satyrs, like, rape and pillage your city. Like, like centaurs will do that. They'll burn everything yeah. to the ground. They're, you know, hor- horrific most of the time, but... Satyrs are just so much fun. So <laughs> the Coretis, the tribes of Coretis, uh, were also born from this these unions, and there were hundreds of them. Uh, they were often said to be identical to the Dactyloi, being semi-divine warriors, uh, but they were the first men of Crete in most tellings. They were wed to their sisters, who were equal in number, known as the Meliae, the ash tree nymphs, whose branches would be used to craft the first spears. Hmm. A note on the Coretis. They were named after Koros, a god who was equated with Zeus, and they were known to be a class of spirits and or a league of ancient historical warriors. However, they had many roles beyond war. They were revered as blacksmiths and metallurgists, crafting incredible shields, weapons, and armor. They were beekeepers, herbalists, and healers, even acting as midwives. They were master musicians who fashioned and even invented many musical instruments. They practiced magic, and they were known to bring rain and to bless and make fertile crops and livestock, but most of all to carry on their mission, protecting and nurturing infants and children, as well as all who were vulnerable. So, like, first of all, that's badass. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. It's so cool. (laughs) And they weren't some, like, unknown group. They were of such stature and veneration that there is a classic Orphic hymn written in their honor. It was even said that the Coretis were the initial founders of the Olympic Games. Now, as a living group of soldiers, it seems that they began as what was called the Society of the Klenoi, where warriors were forged. Now, the term Klenoi refers to the beloved or the submissive partner in homoerotic acts. And the life of a Koros or Klenoi would begin when they became an Ephibi, which was a boy entering manhood. This was marked by rites of initiation and the beginning of their military training. Scholars say this was usually around 17 or 18, but it could begin as young as 13. Ancient Greece had Ephibia. These were official institutions where this training would take place, but the Ephibia was not the destination for Akoros in the making. No, he would be ritually abducted by an older male who would act as his mentor, lover, and brother-in-arms. They would undergo an intense period of initiation, which could often include public sexual intercourse as an act of dedication to Apollo Carneus, who was their patron, and other gods and heroes who were seen as presiding over and protecting male lovers. In the descriptions left to us by the likes of Strabo, the Coretis were also said to be wildly gender variant, calling them warriors in, quote, female garb. And obviously, as we can see, they really did not hew closely to the traditional um, assignations or standards for masculinity in ancient Greece. Zeus set out from Mount Othrus. He knew he would need wise guidance in order to stage the coup that he planned against Cronus, and as he climbed the mountain, he came upon Metis. She was an oceanid and was the personification of intelligence. He was struck by her beauty and by her intensity, and she immediately recognized him. I kind of want to get y'all's feel on this because she decides to help Zeus. I'm not sure why. I don't, there's, there's never like a clear indication of like what exactly happened. And she ends up being his first wife, which we'll talk about in a minute. But what do you think Metis is thinking when like Zeus comes (laughs) strutting up Mount Othrys, 
you know, like yeah, armed for war. <laughs> <laughs> and she sees him first. Like, what do you think her reaction was? Excitement and adventure. <laughs> I mean, I guess She's... it sounds like she has it, like knows who he's gonna be. Like, it seems like premonition-y, <laughs> right? Like, mm-hmm. it feels like it feels like. I mean, to me, in like that mythological way, it seems like she just understands that he's important, and it's yeah, you know, <laughs> which is weird because yeah, he sounds totally stupid, but <laughs> right. And theoretically, the other like titans know about all the other titans. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like if Zeus just starts walking up there, it's like, well, you're oh, clearly not at this point in history. Yeah. At this point in history, there are fully like less than a hundred people in existence. So it's like, yeah, yeah. So if it's you're like, like, you're, yeah. you're just waltzing into town. You're obviously very important. Like the shiny, <laughs> shiny boy with a big. He's goat, like the new cowboy a horn, black like... horse. You know, for sure. So he rides up on his black horse, who was made from the wind or the ocean, and he is uh, talking to Metis. And Metis is like, "Yeah, okay, I guess this is you know you're a safe horse to bet on." <laughs> girl uh, she advises him uh probably pretty sternly to get the fuck off of his high horse and disguise himself because he's in full battle regalia and he's never talked to another person that wasn't a goat so it's really important that he like <laughs> tone it down um yeah it's it's just like <laughs> I, that is true it's really that's some so of the childbearing tips yeah. are scary you know it's like wow this kid is you know uh malnourished also did he kill his goat mother to take all those bits yes so it's like <laughs> she's like what the fuck i raised you and now you like skin me and take my horn oh Thanks, my Mom. favorite version is where she <laughs> volunteers herself as the sacrifice having served her purpose I'm sure. I'm sure she did that. Of course. I, like, not only do like females and goats both love being like, just yeah. take me. I'm literally care. here only because so you can you. be a better person yeah. and have success. <laughs> so I kind I just love Metis because she's also like a little bit witchy. So the thing is, is like she's like, all right, listen, fucking tone it down, and put on this disguise <laughs> as a cupbearer from the throne room, and so. She mixes up a potion of mustard, like mustard greens, and wine, and she places it in a jug. He enters the throne room. He keeps his head low, like she obviously had to tell him, because he has absolutely no social awareness, I'm sure. (laughs) Um, He takes his place at the side of Kronos, where the cupbearer is supposed to stand. Kronos is sitting on the throne, hosting a feast for the Titans. As he is serving the wine from the previous untainted jug, he offers a cup to his mother, Rhea. And he's trying to keep his head down. He's trying to remember what Metis literally just told him. So he's not noticed. (laughs) But he can't resist this moment. That's his mother. And he looks up. Their eyes meet. And Rhea lets out a gasp. Now, thankfully, the feast is getting louder and louder by the minute. So nobody notices this. She gazes down at her son. Completely expressionless. And ever so slightly nods this is really exciting i'm like on the edge of my seat right now (laughs) (laughs) this was basically all the confirmation that he needed that he was on the right path for someone who 100 percent believes everything he does is correct i guess he had like (laughs) one flicker of doubt ever and this is one nod and now he's like and now he's like oh that's blanket approval for the next thousand years (laughs) when Kronos motioned for more wine zeus poured the potion from the tainted jug into the cup and offered it to his father. 
The tyrant grabbed the cup, and just as he had thrown back the stone that had been Zeus's proxy so many years ago, he threw back the liquid without so much as a glance at Zeus. Zeus resumed his position and waited. Just a few minutes later, Cronus was laughing about something when his laugh got caught in his throat. He began to hack, and before long he was clutching at his throat and foaming at the mouth, eyes bloodshot and streaming, body convulsing. Suddenly his jaw unhinged and he began to vomit. But there was no bile. As limbs began to emerge from inside his mouth, stretching him out more and more, first emerged Poseidon, then Hades, Hera, Demeter, and finally Hestia stepped out of their father's mangled, mutilated, misshapen remains. Sick. (laughs) There stood the first five Olympians, resplendent in their glory, fully grown adults, and ready to do battle. Zeus stood with his siblings and announced that the age of the Titans had come to an end, and made an open declaration of war on Cronus and all who would support him. He'd only been there for like five minutes. Straight up, like that's how he's like, he like throws back his cloak and he's like, I'm Zeus, we're at war. Like, he He doesn't even try to be like friendly, except to his mom. I don't know that he is able to do subtlety. It doesn't seem that way. It's not in his nature, yeah. Not at all. Not from youth, not from young adulthood. It seems like there's nothing. He's about as subtle as a bullhorn. I don't, I really don't (laughs) see it happening. (laughs) Wow. That is very abrupt. Well, I feel like after you watch your siblings kind of crawl their way out of your father, there's probably not like a, okay, so now that we're here, let's have a conversation. Everyone just sit around in a circle. Yeah. We'll do some fishbowl activities. That'll get everyone re, re-, <laughs> re- in touch with their, like, there's where else do you kind of go from? Okay, so I'm definitely into, like, Cronus being in a puddle as, like, Mount Orthrus's party takes a turn to, like, baby <laughs> shower icebreakers. Yeah, <laughs> where you have like the balloon between the thighs that you have to like pass back and forth between people without popping it. Like, yeah, totally. that'll be fun. Especially in ancient Greece, everybody's naked and covered in olive oil. It'll really be <laughs> gas. Togas flying everywhere. That's it. So at this point, we have the division. The lines are drawn up. On the side of Mount Othrus, we have Coes, Creus, Hyperion, Iapetus, Cronus, and Menoetius. It's important to remember that Iapetus had two so- had four sons. They were Menoetius, Atlas, Epimetheus, and Prometheus. Epimetheus and Prometheus went with their mother, Clymene, to support Mount Olympus. But the other two sons, Menoetius, who was cruelty, basically embodied, and mm-hmm. Atlas, the incredibly strong one, stayed with their father and fought on the side of Mount Othrys. And you would think that their leader was Cronus, but Cronus being, I guess, in godly terms, having to, like, really recover from getting stretched out by five (laughs) adults crawling out of him. Atlas was the leader of the forces of Mount Othrys. Hmm. On the side of Mount Olympus, we have Poseidon and Hades. The side of Mount Olympus is led by Zeus. But we also have, and this is one of the things that annoys the living fuck out of me, Hera, Demeter, and Hestia fighting on the side of Mount Olympus. Mm-hmm. But in some tellings, they're sent away for their own good and their own protection because they can't engage in battle. Oh. And I'm like, have you met Hera? Yeah, I'm not sure yeah, that Hera literally. needs to be sent away for her <laughs> own protection, really. 
I'm ready for Madonna to pick up a folding metal chair and just do in one of the Titans. Slam somebody. Yeah. Yeah. So from the top row. <laughs> like, like, watch out, watch out, watch out. <laughs> watch out, watch out, watch out, watch out. <laughs> so, I, yeah, I'm definitely into this being like celebrity deathmatch from like oh. the claymation celebrity deathmatch for the Titanomaki, but still yeah. casting each of the gods as their pop culture pantheon totally. yeah it's we need to do this so basically you've got on the side of mount olympus led by zeus you've got poseidon hades Hera, Dem- demeter hestia everybody that just did the cronus jump out of his gut you've got <laughs> themis do the cronus jump that's it cronus jump. Do the cronus out of jump. the gut <laughs> you could have left by the butt <laughs> he was a little too drunk. <laughs> and now he's slumped. Okay, now we can. Who wants some mustard? Hey! <laughs> <laughs> so we've got Themis, Epimetheus, Prometheus, and don't forget, Styx showed up really Alex early Styx on. Is like, Funny. no, fuck this. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting. Actually, the only male Titan who did not participate in the Titanomachy was Oceanus. And none of the the Titanesses, none of the Titanides participated either, except for the ones that went to Olympus. Oceanus and Tethys, the two, you know, the two great kind of water, river, ocean um, Titans, both sat out the Titanomachy. Mm-hmm. They were like, we're not interested. Not, not involved. Too many kids. They were tired from all them kids. But both of them <laughs> took a moment to be like, hey, Styx, um... You need to get the kids and leave your good for nothing husband and get over to Mount Olympus because this is not going to go well. This is who's going to win. Yeah. Word through Dionysus's grapevine is Gaia already foretold that Olympus has this shit on lock. So get on the winning team, go. And Still she's like, I would leave my husband for half a reason. So I'm ready to go. <laughs> um, and then we have the neutral parties. So we have the Titanesses, uh, Tethys, Phoebe, Thea, Nemesini, and Rhea. And we have Oceanus, who they're all like, no, thank you. We're not involved. Most of the younger Titans are not involved either, unless the younger Olympians are involved. Because... In most of the classic tellings of the Titanomachy, it's just the first six Olympians because the rest of them don't exist yet. But there are some other tellings where they do, where you have the 12 Olympians and they are paired with the 12 Titans and they face off. So the war began in earnest and it rages on for 10 years. The Olympians fought valiantly, but they were no match for the mighty earth-rending Titans. No matter how hard they fought or how cunning they were, they could not seem to inflict any real damage on the elder gods of Mount Othrus. So it came to be, after a particularly devastating loss, that a distraught Zeus was approached by the great mother herself. Aretha Franklin shows up. Yeah, exactly. Um, and <laughs> reminds him of her 11-minute rendition of Amazing Grace from the early 60s. And <laughs> it's worth just listen. If you've never listened to it, she's like in a church in Southern California. And she sings Amazing Grace for 11 minutes, about six minutes of which her mouth is closed. And it is unbelievable. Change your life. So... <laughs> Zeus is approached by Great Mother Gaia herself. She comes to him and reminds him of her imprisoned children, his uncles, offering him their service and her aid if he would swear to do right by them after the war. Remember, this is something his father and his grandfather had failed to do. He agreed without hesitation, and she taught him the way down to Tartarus. Zeus descended into the underworld's deepest steps, and when attempting to release his uncles, was met 
by the mighty Campy. There was some talk before we started recording today about where in our great pop culture pantheon, the goddess herself, Bjork, would be placed. And I can tell you right now, Campy would be Bjork. Yeah, that's Bjork would be Campy. Awesome. Campy was the monstrous guard of Tartarus. She was the counterpart to Typhon. Remember Typhon? Uh... Mm -hmm. So many believe she was Echidna by another name. Campy was stronger and more terrifying than any of the titans that Zeus had come up against. A true horror to behold and a giant in size. She was crowned with poison-spitting serpents and her upper half was covered with the hardened scales of a sea monster. She had claws shaped like sickles, many bat-like wings. Her legs descended into a writhing mass of serpents and snakes and she bore the tail of a scorpion. I love her. Yeah. Lastly, and to my mind, most importantly, she wore a skirt of howling, barking animal heads. Yeah. That's awesome. I get it. It's called Fashion (laughs) Zeus. Look it up. (laughs) That's definitely Bjork. You nailed it. My Uh, husband will be very happy. (laughs) Yeah. The song Army of Me is just sung by the belt. My God, the entire Medulla album, all of the fucking beatboxing and throat singing and background like vocals is just the skirt. <laughs> all of her belt, like her skirt, That's it. animal heads. <laughs> she was great and mighty, and she very nearly took down the would-be king of Olympus, which is annoying. But I mean, I'm like, <laughs> uh, who's harder. not Team Campy? Yeah. Who's not Team Campy? And then she gets to be king of the gods. Like, come on! Like, that oh, would have wow. been so good. The alternate universe that <laughs> we can oh. live in. Please, somebody write a fanfic about this. But Zeus, using all his might and a little help from Gaia, prevailed. Because, of course, he gets every fucking advantage. Once she was defeated, Zeus released his uncles. He called out to them, beseeching them to join him, promising them freedom after the war had ended. All they had to hear was that the enemy was Cronus and that Zeus had Gaia's blessing. They ascended to the surface with Zeus and began their work. The next assault on Mount Othrys began... And just as before, they were locked in a stalemate. The deathless gods locked in battle with one another, unable to triumph. And that is when Zeus appeared with his forsaken uncles. The Hecaton Kyres began the assault by gathering up a great stone in each of their hundred hands and started continuously launching them at Mount Othrys, acting as something like the world's first machine gun? Meanwhile, the Cyclopes brought forth the fruits of their tireless labor at the Divine Forge. Poseidon was given his trident. Oh. Hades was given his helm of darkness, or helmet of invisibility. And finally, Zeus was given his iconic thunderbolts. And when Zeus began launching his thunderbolts, the battle was all but over. The defeated titans were cast into Tartarus for all of eternity, and the new gods established themselves on Mount Olympus. As we've previously discussed in some tellings, Zeus actually grants the Titans clemency after a time, and they're not heard from again. Maybe they retire to Boca Raton. I don't really know what happens, but <laughs> I do like the idea of like a Titan, like a Titanic old folks home. I do think like yeah. that would yeah. be fun. Also, I love that it has to be a ten-year war because it's like you can't say two-year war. That just doesn't sound. That doesn't sound cool. Well, they, and do they have? Like, because I've heard this before, where like there are some explanations where gods disappear because they go to other countries. That's that's absolutely a thing. 
They just go yeah, somewhere like they, else now. They're, they're like, on, it's like they're, they're on tour. Yeah. yeah, they just yeah. leave and they go to other they'll cultures. Visit these other and cultures. Like, All right, see ya. Huh. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, maybe that's kind of smart. That's like you know, you go to Japan. You're like big in Japan. You you know, like if it's not working out here, you like start producing movies in France instead of America. Oh, certainly for the Titans. Like I feel like after the whole Tatanamaki thing, they're like, all right, they're gonna see themselves out. <laughs> We've seen enough goats and rocks and stuff. Let's go somewhere. <laughs> Let's go somewhere. I know. You have to imagine this being like a titan after the Titanomachy. You finally get out of Tartarus and you're like, olives. Groundbreaking. I'm going to go. I've seen it. I'm good. You know, like. (laughs) (laughs) So, after their victory, the three brothers who had mounted the campaign against the titans decided to draw straws to decide their lot in the universe. I'm going to give you one guess on who gets the longest straw. <laughs> Zeus gets the longest straw. Yay. Always. Say, is it Hestia? Right. Is it Hestia? And chooses the, the heavens. <laughs> Poseidon drew the middle straw and chose the oceans. And Hades, drawing the shortest straw, was left with the underworld. Underworld's awesome, though. Whatever, Hades. It's fine. The thing is, though, that does touch good. on like a pretty common trope in many myths about like which god gets the underworld. Usually they get tricked into it or they get mm-hmm. the sh- literally the short end of the stick. Like they straight up like just end up having like bad luck or whatever. And depending on the pantheon, they either take to it or they don't. I mean, overwhelmingly Hades is like one of the most iconic and popular versions of the story in which he like ends up with the underworld, but it turns out like he was a sad boy anyway. So like, it's fine. He's doing, he's thriving down there, you know? (laughs) I also, you know, just as an older sibling, feel like the whole like new sibling comes in gets to do some stuff, everyone pays attention to them, and then they get the longest. It's like, yeah, fine, I'll go to the underworld and be, like, where divine packs are upheld and, like, the place oh, where no one Oh, let me go it. ahead and rock your shit for a minute. He's not younger. He's the oldest of the Olympians now. Zeus? Because when they came out of Cronus, they were no, birthed no, 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 again. <laughs> are you serious? I that swear is, to God, that is that canon. Is- a goofy loophole. That is canon. He's the eldest and the supreme of the gods. So he's their dad, too. It sounds like something Zeus made up to be like, yeah, I'm the oldest. I'm the eldest. Hi. I was out here, and then you guys were born in front of me. I guess you're adults, but, like, whatever. They're like, yeah. we've and been like, in I'm there the for a while. Put, oh, but it's like, I'm the person that put the liquid in you that made you come out of Cronus. Yeah, so, so like, I'm basically your, your dad. dad. <laughs> I'm your youngest brother, but I'm also your dad. Yeah, of course. Like, shut up. <laughs> I don't think there's another mythology where that would be completely rational argument more than Greek mythology. Yeah. <laughs> so that <laughs> so yeah that's that's that that's how it gets divvied up. Wait a minute because this also just kind of sets up all of the, the weird parentages but like two of his other kids where it's just like yeah they sh- shot out of my body in a place. <laughs> like, this is so weird. Yeah. <laughs> Who are you thinking of? A- Athena and Dionysus? Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. he just wants he just wants to be everyone's dad. He just wants to claim everything. Being raised like, you know, being raised by a goat mom and then He doesn't have social like, graces. Most, yeah. And most of your like, you know <laughs> like your two sources of authority are Gaia and Rhea. It's like, oh yes, clearly that is where authority comes from. I will also be a mom. 
in the worst way possible. <laughs> oh my god, especially with Dionysus. Yeah, it's just oh, like yeah. Zeus. Just so that we're all clear, we're not going to get into Dionysus today, but like Dionysus is born three times because like, you know, one, yeah. being born one time is not traumatic enough. He gets born <laughs> once. He gets torn limb from limb by the Titans who get released by Hera. Yeah, it's wild. So yeah. you have that happen and his like, I guess still beating heart gets picked up by Zeus. Zeus goes down to his human consort, Semele, and is like, eat this. And she's like, I don't have agency or thoughts. And then immediately becomes <laughs> pregnant. And then Hera intervenes again. I'm not going to spoil everything. Semele ends up immolated. And th- yeah. in her crispy, still-burning corpse is the uh, divine fetus that then Zeus picks up and I guess is like, well, if you want a job done right, you gotta do it, you know, and like makes this, and then he's like, well, I've seen enough births to know how this works. He makes a slit in his thigh, packs the fetus in, and seals it up, and carries the baby to term. Not, not how it works. Just no, not, no, that not boy thick. That That's where you. Where else was he gonna put it? Also, are you <laughs> actually going to try and make a joke about thunder thighs right now? Because I will. Oh and my. this entire, I will end my existence at this point. I feel, I'm going to yeet myself into a black hole. I swear to God, I don't know what to do. <laughs> Zeus also just being the opposite of I don't need no man. Just like, I don't need no woman. I can do this. Oh, God, no. <laughs> that is a very real storyline that we will address in the birth of several of the other Olympians. <laughs> Having it. having children with no partner as an act of revenge happens several yeah. times, and it never turns out right. So it's right. really fun. Um, so, so what's going on back at the ranch? You know, Zeus has the heavens. He's chilling out on Olympus. Things are getting kind of settled. But it's around this time that Zeus begins to fear his first wife, Metis, because she's brilliant. She basically coordinated everything, and he's just a big fucking lug who gets to profit off of her intelligence. So he gets this idea. He challenges her to a game. Which god can take on the most shapes? They both furiously shape-changed into the many animals of the earth, and it resulted in a draw. Which, if this doesn't immediately conjure in your head Merlin versus Mad Madam Mim in the Sword of yeah, the Stone, totally. I don't know I how to speak to you anymore. That is so legendary. It's the best. It's a draw, right? Because they're both like, we're gods, this is kind of stupid. Like, obviously, this is going to be a draw. <laughs> and so then basically Zeus is like, oh, okay, let's try something new. Who can transform into the smallest form possible? They become animals, which are smaller and smaller, until Metis, in her brilliance, changes into a fly. And Zeus, in his unbridled misogyny and hatred for a woman that is smarter than him, is a bird at that moment and snatches her up and eats her. Here's the thing that's kind of important that even he didn't know. Metis was pregnant. More on that story in a later episode. (laughs) So Zeus moves on, finally marrying his second wife, the power-hungry Hera. And she was crowned the queen of the gods. After this, the Olympians began to bear their children. And joining them to reign over the cosmos from on high came Ares, Artemis, Apollo, Athena, and Hephaestus. Aphrodite had already joined Olympus by this point, rounding out the great pantheon to 12. At this point, you might be asking yourself, what the hell happened to the Hecatonchires and the Cyclopes? (laughs) Well, unfortunately, once Zeus had claimed his victory, he somehow made... The same terrible, idiotic mistake as his father and his grandfather, and once again condemned the brothers to Tartarus. What? Only this time, they would not be the prisoners. 
they would be the prison guards replacing the great and terrible Campy. Terrible. What? It's kind of implied in some of the tellings of this myth that they were like, well, okay, I guess. Like, it's literally all they've ever known. They literally were <laughs> That's born, like where they live. They're like, they got home. shoved yeah. into Tartarus. And then they're like, I mean, it's kind of nice up here, but like, I don't know. I kind of miss prison. Like, okay, I guess. Institutionalized. Okay, so we have. Yeah, he's like, but it's nice now. You get to be the guards. It's like, that's not better. That's somehow worse. Yeah, you still live in the same facility. You still but live you're there, free, but now you also have you... to like be horrible to other people. Right, yeah. you're, you're free, but you can't leave. Yeah. <laughs> well, and there's there's certain tellings again where they're like they actually are okay with it because they, they see the captivity that they were in in Tartarus as as being caused by the Titans. So the fact that they get to go down and s- switch roles and like hurt the Titans, they're like, yeah, Revenge. that sounds great. So at this point, you might be asking yourself, what's Gaia gonna do? Because so far, Gaia has not taken kindly to anybody who's mean to her special boys. And whether or not they liked it, it's not what she asked for. Gaia at this point is beyond rage. And she's beyond vengeance. Out of her pain, she births an entire new tribe of giants and the god monster Typhon. And sends them to overthrow Zeus. The giants. Uh... mm -hmm, And this is called the Gigantomachy. Because <laughs> I remember, I always remember there's a space where Gaia is like against Mount Olympus. But mm-hmm. now that makes like sense that there were two separate um, wars that happened here. Also, like Zeus trying to take over, it's like nobody wants you to take over. They just keep sending new waves of people being like, don't do not do this. We're just going to keep fighting you. It's like at a certain point, don't you take a hint? Like, th- you're not supposed to be here. This is not. No. Like, I mean, he does. All, yeah. all your hints become like chapters in your story and his hints are literally like giants and shit like he should know yeah but he's taking that as like, hey. these are yeah these are chapters yeah, of your hero's journey yeah 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 this is confirmation are, i'm like... on the right track <laughs> <laughs> this is such a we are such haters this is the haterist episode <laughs> wait listen i already prefaced this last week saying that yeah, this was zeus a call sucks. out podcast five thousand years in the making I just honestly, everything about Zeus is like the typical mediocre cishet white man who has terrible ideas, who is somehow <laughs> ends up in charge like all the time. It's so familiar. Yeah. The giants were many, but there were two brothers who led their charge, Alcyonus and Porphyrion. The two commanded the giants as they stacked mountains atop one another in order to climb to the top of Mount Olympus. And as they climbed, Porphyrion continuously talked shit, taunting Zeus, saying that he would make Hera his wife and he would crush Zeus into dust. I wish he would. The Olympians launched a counter-assault without hesitation, but they were astonished at what they saw. It was in her grief and in her terrifying fury that Gaia had not just birthed the giants— she had meticulously designed them to be the literal antithesis of each Olympian, each giant the perfect opposite to each of the gods. She's trying so hard, man. She's trying so hard. That is like, so cool. <laughs> have you ever heard of a situation where a mother went harder for her sons that she's never met? Yeah, no, she really, she's a good mom. Gaia's like the ultimate mom. Gaia really is the ultimate mom in every way, like, and for better or worse, honestly. Yeah, like, truly. <laughs> yeah. 
As in so many of these epic battles, there was a prophecy. We're not sure who delivered it, but the prophecy declared that the, I feel like the prophecy was like one of those like packages that Amazon just leaves outside when you live in New York in an apartment building on the street. And they're like, we left it on your porch. And I'm like, where do you think I live? What? Yeah, it's not Uh, there anymore. Do you think I live in a country croc episode? Like this is the actual New York street. It's gone. I'm not even, I don't even have time to go downstairs. I don't need so, to track it. It's already gone. Well, they sometimes they send you a picture of like where they left it. And I wish they would, it would just be a picture of the person just giving you the finger and just being yeah. like, yeah. I don't care. So <laughs> Amazon, pay your workers more. All right. So the prophecy declared that the gods alone would not be able to defeat the giants because they needed two things, the help of a mortal and a sacred plant. Immediately upon hearing this, two things happened. Gaia set out attempting to find the sacred plant, which might aid her giants. I kind of love this because in my head, this looks like my very fat cat trying to clean himself. No. Because she's the earth itself and she's yeah, looking so for she's like, like one where? plant. <laughs> yeah. She's yeah. like, God damn it, where did I put it? But it's on her, which is like, okay, that's wild. Meanwhile, Zeus forbid Helios, the sun, Eos, the dawn, and Selene, the moon, from their work so that the earth would sit in total darkness. He went out searching and, of course, was the first one to find the plant, harvested all of it for himself, and then set Athena to find his semi-divine but still mortal son, Heracles. Some versions say that he actually came to bear Heracles with his mortal mother, Alcimene, explicitly to fulfill this prophecy, although there's no mortals at this time. And it yeah, was... I was wondering about that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, wait a minute. Where did yeah. he come from? Uh, and it was Heracles that would be the key to their victory. But more on that and the rest of the Gigantomachy in our episode on the big guy himself. Nice. After the Gigantomachy, Zeus set the brothers Prometheus and Epimetheus to the task of populating the Earth and creating all mortal life. Remember that Prometheus is foresight and Epimetheus is hindsight and kind of a fucking moron. (laughs) They sat down to begin their task and had a collection of gifts to bestow on these creatures. It was decided that Prometheus would shape the humans and that Epimetheus would shape the animals, both using clay to do so. Prometheus showed great care and skill in his creation of humanity, as did Epimetheus in his crafting of all the animals. The problem arose when Prometheus went to give humanity some of the gifts we just mentioned, as it seemed Epimetheus, remember he's hindsight, not foresight, had already given every one of the great gifts to the animals. So Prometheus takes it upon himself to endow his new creation, who was naked, defenseless, and ignorant, with many gifts which various myths list as fire, architecture, astronomy, mathematics, writing, the domestication of animals, navigation, medicine, the art of prophecy, metallurgy, and all other practical arts. Yet at every turn, it seems that Zeus was looking to spite humanity or to destroy us, and Prometheus stood not just as our creator, but as our protector and advisor. I want to take a little sidebar here on Prometheus as sculptor of humanity. And I want to read you something from Aesop's Fable. Well, not Aesop's Fables. There's like how like with Plato and Socrates, there's like dialogues where like people ask questions and then you get like the response from Aesop. This is from Aesop, Fables 517. Uh, This is drawn, I think, from Phaedrus. Someone asked Aesop why lesbians and effeminates had been created. And old Aesop explained, The answer lies once again with Prometheus, the original creator of our common clay. All day long, Prometheus had been separately shaping those natural members which modesty conceals beneath our clothes. 
and when he was about to apply these private parts to the appropriate bodies, Dionysus unexpectedly invited him to dinner. <laughs> Prometheus came what? home late, unsteady on his feet and with a good deal of heavenly nectar flowing through his veins. This is the best thing I've ever heard. With his wits half asleep in a drunken haze, he stuck the female genitalia on male bodies and the male members on the ladies. Oh my goodness. This is why modern lust revels in perverted pleasures. So if you wanted to know if trans people were a very commonplace and understood thing in ancient Greece, that should answer your question. Oh my fuck. Aesop himself had to explain quote-unquote mismatched genitalia as an act of divine drunkenness. 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 hmm Wow. Yeah. P.S. The motif of gods sculpting humanity and getting shit-faced and then making things they didn't expect to make is not limited to just Greek mythology. It's actually somewhat common. There are several examples that you can look at. Um, one of my favorites comes from the Orisha traditions where you have Obatala, yeah. And Obatala is really cool. Obatala <laughs> is typically um, referred to as he, him, uh, but is technically genderless and right. is in most cases considered to be the eldest of the Orishas and is characterized by the color white. Colors are very big for the Orishas mm-hmm. and he is always seen in all white. He rules all white things like white animals. Um, albinism is sacred to him, all of that. Now, he's sculpting humanity, he gets drunk, and then he creates just about anything you can think of from, like, queer people, disabled people, like, all shapes and sizes and all types of configurations. This is usually chalked up to Alegua doing this, because Alegua is like a trickster. But actually, this results in, in many Orisha traditions, you're crowned under, like, one of the Orishas. And if you're crowned Obatala, you usually have a lifelong taboo on ever imbibing alcohol again. Yeah. Mm. Like you, he's like super anti. You can't offer alcohol. You can't drink alcohol. Nothing. Yeah. Damn. Mm-hmm. I also like because I think part of that story is when he gets drunk. Oludumare comes and it's like, just give me the. And like takes the tools. Takes over. Um, <laughs> and is the one that like ends up having like the earth be created mm-hmm. because. Uh, Obatala is too like drunk to mm-hmm. and so he like puts some dirt down and then puts like a rooster on it and the rooster like kicks up the dirt and that's how like the earth is created yeah. yes. which is like a sick story to put like some dirt on primordial water and then have a rooster like kick it around <laughs> to make the continents is super awesome and one of my favorite like creation stories for people is from China because I think it's Nua is making people out of clay um, but then she gets tired because it's like really hard to do so she makes all the, like, their thing of, like, separating nobles from peasants is, like, all the nobles were handcrafted by Nua. Mm. But then she figured out, like, it's easier if I put a bunch of clay on this rope and, like, swing it around. Because then it just makes a bunch of people, like, mass production. And so, like, peasants oh, are That's a bad one. That's bad. Because they're, like, resulting from the swung around rope oh, versus the no. nobility who were handcrafted by Nua, which is, like, Ugh. just a hilarious idea of, like, ah, this is hard. Let me... Let me see if there's a way I can like. That's hilarious. Awful. Yeah, I love it. It's actually funny that you mentioned roosters. Uh, there's something I was good, I wasn't going to include, but I'm, I'm I have to now. Um, in one of Aesop's fables, <laughs> the story goes like this: The lion often found fault with the way he had been designed by Prometheus, 
Admittedly, Prometheus had made the lion very large and very handsome, supplying him with sharp fangs in his jaws and arming him with claws in his feet. In short, he made the lion the most powerful of all animals. Yet great though I may be, said the lion, I'm terribly afraid of roosters. <laughs> Prometheus replied, why waste your time blaming me? You have every good quality that I was able to create, and you're afraid of absolutely nothing except for roosters. <laughs> That's the entire fable. What? What? <laughs> we don't get an explanation. Uh, tell me what the moral is. I don't know. That's awesome. I I love it. <laughs> That's hilarious. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, yep. There we go. It's like, hey, is this final draft, or can we like edit out the rooster fear? It's like, I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, yeah, that's that's it. That's <laughs> I don't know. Story. I misplaced that tablet. I don't. That ruins the whole thing if I take out like it's just a balance thing. It's it, it like, I... look, it's about flow. Okay, you right. don't it feels, understand. It feels right. Yeah. Because if I take this out here, then I have to go backwards on a few other animals, and then Let's it's just, just like a it. whole. Let's that's it. it. I thought. Aesop, I thought Epimetheus made the animals. Listen, I'm either going to fucking write these or I'm not, okay? So you guys right? need to... Like, calm why down. don't you take a shot at it, okay? Hot shot. <laughs> you know, so... Yeah, I love cranky Aesop. Aesop had a lot of <laughs> fucked up shit to say. I'll tell you that right now. Um, another little story about Prometheus I wanted to tell you all, which I it's just one of my absolute favorites, is from Aeschylus, and it's from uh, Prometheus Bound, which is a Greek tragedy from, like, the circa 5th century BC. Oh, right, yeah. Prometheus, that potter who gave shape to our new generation, decided one day to sculpt the form of Aletheia, the spirit of truth, using all his skill so that she would be able to regulate people's behavior. As he was working, an unexpected summons from mighty Jupiter called him away. He needs to stop answering the phone. Yeah, for real. In the middle of work? Just In the stop. middle of work. Like, you need to have Get office hours. Get your job hours. done and then, like, yeah, exactly. Boundaries, well, Prometheus. This is really not working out for everyone. <laughs> Literally everyone. Prometheus left cunning Dolus, who is a child of Nyx we talked about, and the embodiment of Trickery, who is his current apprentice. Explain no, it? No. I don't know. This no. is just nepotism. It has it's to like, be. Yeah. You're my weird third cousin. Sure. They can't get you anywhere else. You can just stay here. Don't fucking touch the clay. That's your whole... <laughs> just like, get the coffee. You'll be fine. That's it. Uh, yeah. Dolus is an unpaid intern. So... Dolus, who, again, is the daemon of trickery, is left to his own devices in, in charge of the workshop. Hard to see how this is going to go. I'm sure there won't be anything wrong. No. Feeling ambitious, Dolus used the time at his disposal to fashion with his sly fingers a figure of the same size and appearance as Aletheia, with identical features. When he had almost completed the piece, which was truly remarkable, he ran out of clay to use for her feet. At that moment, the master returned, so Dolus quickly sat down in his seat, quaking with fear. Prometheus was amazed at the similarity of the two statues, and wanted it to seem as if all the credit were due to his own skill. Therefore, he put both statues in the kiln, and when they had been thoroughly baked, he infused them both with life. Sacred Truth Aletheia walked with measured steps while her unfinished twin stood stuck in her tracks. That forgery, that product of subterfuge, thus acquired the name pseudo-logos, falsehood. For every once in a while, something that is false can start off successfully, but with time, truth is sure to prevail. Huh. Ah. Wow. Interesting. 
I love it because it's this idea of like lies can spread quickly, but truth will always mm-hmm. in the end outrun them. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I just love it that. It's cool. It's nice symbolism. That's really cool. Hmm. Now, after humanity had been created, there was what was called a settling of accounts held between the mortals and the gods. This was meant to establish oh. the devotional relationship between the two in the form of worship and offerings. Prometheus set out two offerings for Zeus to choose from, and the one that Zeus chose would become the traditional sacrifice expected from humanity from that point on. But Prometheus was cunning and knew Zeus all too well. So he sacrificed a cow and placed the best cuts of beef inside of its stomach and then wrapped its bones inside glistening, juicy fat. Just as Prometheus had thought, Zeus chose the bones, preferring the thing that on the outside looked the most appealing. And from this point on, tradition would be set. Humans would wrap sacrificial bones in the animal's fat and burn the offering for the gods while enjoying the meat for themselves. Huh. It sounds like Prometheus is kind of like the teacher who's fighting against the system, but like doing it within the system. Like, I'm going to teach these human stuff. I'm going to try and fuck over the system. I'm it does seem like he's a little bit of a troublemaker in that way. Oh, <laughs> Zeus is Norma Ray. Z- Zeus is um, Meryl Streep and Silkwood. Zeus is Aaron Brockovich. Zeus is Bernie Sanders. <laughs> Zeus is a lot of people. Zeus is AOC. Like, uh, uh, did I say Zeus a million times? <clears throat> Prometheus. Prometheus, we were with you. Oh, my God. Wow. You know, Zeus is not Aaron Brockovich. Yeah, <laughs> no, not at all. Couldn't be less similar. Zeus isn't no. even the man she's talking to. Zeus is the corporation that's poisoning yeah, exactly. people. <laughs> yeah, no. no, but Prometheus totally is. He's like totally like, I'm going to slide some real stuff in here. Oh, whenever possible. I mean, yeah. the fact that like there's there's a whole, I mean, there's entire like catalogs of writing about how Prometheus is the progenitor for Lucifer and how it goes. The, oh, that makes a lot of sense. There's a lot there. Wow. Yeah. Oh, that's so, very interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm going to have to ask you about a book about that or something. Lightbringer. Yeah, that's, that makes perfect sense, obviously. Yeah. So, cool. um... Zeus was furious at being so easily deceived. Just be smarter. Oh, wait, you ate your smart wife. So he did the sensible thing. He stole fire from humanity, leaving us destined for a long, drawn-out extinction. But Prometheus would have none of this. One night, shrouded in darkness, he snuck onto Olympus and, using a fennel stalk, captured some of the sacred flames in the Hall of the Gods, or in Athena's Temple. He secreted away the flames, returning them to humanity and saving us from certain death. Yay. Fun fact, if you're a fan of the tarot, the devil card shows the devil figure who's based on the Baphomet and like a mixture of like the Baphomet and Pan. It shows the devil holding an inverted torch. So he's like holding a torch, but it's upside down and it's burning upwards. That's the sacred symbol of Prometheus because he had to do that to hide it while he snuck off of Olympus. Oh, wow, that's That's very cool. cool. So, like, stolen mysteries, forbidden knowledge, Mm -hmm. all of that is usually symbolized by an inverted torch. Love it. Well, as you can imagine, Zeus, at this point, is not just spiteful. He's fucking vengeful. He's, like, full-on god of vengeance at this point. So, it should be noted that when we're discussing the mortals, the Greeks believed that there were only men among the mortals at this point. Shocking, I know. This was known as the Golden Age. Shocking, I know. (laughs) It was so great back then. It was believed to be a utopia. Shocking. Oh. I know. 
populated entirely by men who lived in accordance with the gods, were technologically advanced and wanted for nothing. Mm-hmm. And as it, it was at this point that Zeus demanded the creation of the first woman, which he called a beautiful oh. evil, with which he <laughs> could curse mankind. Yeah. Oh, my. That's always that's always how it happens. <laughs> it's said that without Prometheus to mold her, it took Hephaestus to build her, the Graces and the Hore to shape her. Hermes gave her the power of speech, thought, and, quote, a shameless mind and deceitful nature. Aphrodite gave her beauty, charisma, and apparently a cruel streak a mile wide. Athena was said to breathe life into her, as it was also said in some tellings that she breathed life into all of Prometheus' sculptures, so they needed her for this. But also that she dressed her in finery and taught her needlework and weaving, both of which it said Athena invented. Each of the gods endowed her with many gifts, and once finished, she was sent to Zeus. He gave the first woman a wedding gift, a jar, a box, a vessel of some kind, and sent her to Epimetheus, telling her to introduce herself as a gift from Olympus. Now, Prometheus knew damn well, with his foresight and all, that this feud with Zeus was far from over, and he advised his idiot jerk-off brother Epimetheus not to accept any gift from Olympus. But when he beheld the first woman, Epimetheus immediately welcomed her in. They were married and bore the first mortal child, born on Earth, named Pyrrha, whose name means fire. All was well, until one day, for one reason or another, the vessel was opened. This could have been the curiosity of the first woman, who the gods had named Pandora. Mm -hmm. It could have been by accident. Someone could have bumped into it or knocked it over. Or it could have been the foolishness and stupidity that Epimetheus had become completely famous for. Probably that one. In fact, in a lot of classical pieces of art, Epimetheus has the fucking lid in his hand. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> Which later people have tried to revise and be like, he's trying to put it back on. If you look oh at him, he's like dumbstruck. He's like, well, I, I, what could, I, do? I couldn't have seen this coming. Uh, no, you couldn't. But you'll give us a fantastically detailed report of how it all went down. <laughs> so no one knows why it happened. We just know it happened. And the moment that the lid was loosened, out came screaming and howling all the evils into the world. And as this torrent of misery and sickness and entropy and death poured out, Pandora cried out and tried to stop it, finally getting the lid back on the vessel, trapping only one remaining spirit inside. Hope. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck. Yeah. So the box was full of daimones, and they all got out. Why were they put in the box? Hey, what the, the fuck fr- are like, they what doing was their there? punishment for being in the fucking There box? is a version <laughs> in which, apparently, if we had behaved, it would have been a box full of blessings in time. Which is just, Whatever. like, that's just gaslighting. Stop like shaming us. You, yeah. Like, don't give me a joke prop that's, like, a can of peanuts that's actually full of snakes, and then tell me if, if, if I had good, waited long enough, nice. it would have been peanuts. Like, been no, peanuts. this is not Schrodinger's snake. Like, there's peanuts. <laughs> there were no peanuts. Don't act like there were peanuts. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> so what do we think about the fact that, like, you have this box of horrible demoness who basically pollute the world with, like, evil and age and death and entropy and all of that. And inside the box with them... Was hope. Was hope. What do we think about that? That just seems like a, like a mean trick. I also think it's, like... If we're setting it up in terms of Zeus, like, if Zeus already hates the humans, he probably doesn't want them to have hope. In the sense that, like, 
I don't know. I guess, I guess you could. I guess I could see hope as something like if you're always hopeful, you're bound to be disappointed, which is like a very painful feeling, mm-hmm. I guess. But other than that, I'm not really sure why it would be hope, other than just like other than for there to be something left in the box that we could be like, oh, yeah. we fucked up again. <laughs> Literally, thousands of years of dialogue have been had about this story and yeah. why hope was even in the box in the first place. And there's a lot of schools of thought on it. There's a lot of people who go, well, obviously it's false hope because it leads oh. you to be delusional and well, to yeah, that's kind of what Vince just said. spoil your life, you know, because yeah. you are completely ignoring reality. Um, there's others that say that hope is the tragic truth of our human condition, that no matter what the evidence is that we are going to die, we have this odd hope for immortality. And that's why we invent these stories in the first place. That's really goth. Yeah. There are other tellings that say in the same way it is our, you know, tragic and flawed condition, which, um, you know, allows hope to be there, which on one hand, it's a double edged sword. You know, it's the thing that can have us climb to the highest heights. And it's the thing that can lead us walking right off of those heights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, Interestingly, there's also several alternative, like, little narratives that, like, uh, take Zeus himself to seal the box back up, that it never gets opened again, or there are tellings where it does get opened again, and that's how hope gets into the world. Because that's the thing. It's like, well, wait, how do we have hope if it's still in the box? Like, what is this? Yeah. 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 But then that's, that's what a lot of people say. They're like, oh, that's because false hope got out. The same way that you had truth and you had falsehood. Remember, with Daimonas, yeah. there's usually a counter spirit, right? So the idea being, well, true hope is in the box and false hope is what's in our world. We still don't have the good one. Right. So therefore, give up. You know, it's just like nihilism, mm. basically. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I just want to point out that it is, again, hard to overstate just how deeply misogynistic ancient Greece was and how this is the foundation for our civilization and it shows Indeed, in ancient Greek, women were often referred to as kolon kaikon, which literally means beautiful, bad thing. Oh. Uh, I'll take that one on. That's fine. I feel like, so that's, a, <laughs> like that's... That's where Amine that's, got that's that song. <laughs> I can't stand you. Yeah, I'll take that on. That's fine. That's my gender. Like, that, com- that, that is, I think that's part of it. Coming sure. from the person yeah. who would consider it an honor to play the whore of Babylon on, you know, like, it's like, yeah, yeah I don't see that this would affect you. <laughs> I, I resemble that. That's okay. Um, <laughs> mean, though. Very mean. Bad assumption. No, absolutely. I mean, it's that's the whole thing is that it's like, this should seem somewhat familiar to you if you grew up in uh, the West in an English speaking country at least you would know at some point you've gotten the story of Eve. Mm -hmm. And the fact that like the fact that you have a situation in which in the actual like creation of humanity story, women are immediately derivative of men. They are sent to punish men or they are the cause of punishment for men that they are a pollutant and they pollute men and mislead them or draw them astray. And that they are a bad joke on men by the gods of the cosmos. This is a constant throughout Western civilization for eons. Yeah, because it, it feels kind of like women represent change. Like even in the, the Titanesses and the primordial goddesses, like they're the ones that are the ability for things to change. 
Whereas like these kind of like more masculine or male gods are the ones trying to establish something and have it just be the case. Um, Cause it's like, even just like Gaia's role and Metis's role and <laughs> like Rhea's role. Um, I mean, I think what, like giving birth kind of creates that mm-hmm. there's like a forward motion, you know? And I mean, obviously when you think about like who are the pinnacles, the, the most important voices, of ancient Greece when we think about them you know you've got Plato you've got Aristotle you've got Socrates all of them were violent misogynists I mean Aristotle straight up said like as between the sexes the male is by nature superior the female is inferior there is the male ruler and there is the female subject they just sound really scared to me yeah absolutely i mean they were definitely terrified of women i mean like yeah they absolutely were if you even look at the treatment of the goddesses that's the part of like the female traditional identity that i very much relate to almost to the point of like i've taken that and left the rest behind like i just feel like i relate to that okay like you want to make me a bad guy i'm going to be fucking terrifying like i will be a hundred percent terrifying in a way that like even like transcends the way you want to pigeonhole it. Well, that's the thing. If you think about like, who are the absolute scariest spirits? Like who are the scariest gods, right? Peaceful, normal death is male. Yeah. Vengeful bloodshed is feminine. It's the furies. It's the carries, the Valkyrie people call them the Valkyries. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and if it's... That, even if that comes from a misogynistic place, like there's a way to spin that and be like, all right, fuck, you want to give us that power unfairly? Then, like, we're going to use that. Like, you're right. Oh, 100%. You're Absolutely. right. We are horrifying, and you should be fucking scared. <laughs> you know? Absolutely. And, I mean, that's the thing that I think so many people have been able to look at. Yeah, that's where the fun begins. And yeah, absolutely. It's like reclaim those things as like, yes, that is a banner I will stand under. You know, of course, Medusa is such a classic uh, um, icon yes. in this conversation, of course. Of course. And also one of the reasons that so many people have an issue with Athena. You know, mm-hmm. we're going to talk about this in her episode. But like I've always said, people try to like recast Athena now as like this like feminist icon. And I'm like, bro, Athena is the Hillary Clinton of goddesses. I mean, she is 100% like for the patriarchy, all about the patriarchy, happy to be like second in command with the patriarchy. Like she Mm -hmm. is all about her proximity to power and privilege and is not going anywhere. Athena is the absolute like goddess of white feminism. 100%. Yeah. Okay. So that was our episode today. Um, How does everybody feel leading into our new episodes that we're going to be doing where we focus on the Olympians? I'm really excited. I'm excited to get into like the depth of characters. You know, we've passed through so many different characters that have become more and more, um, I guess, human-like or more more and more specific, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've there each one has like left kind of interesting little marks. But n- I'm excited now to get like even even just like today starting to talk about certain uh, gods like more in depth and more the nuances of their personalities. It's like that's very exciting from a storytelling perspective. I think. Yeah, same. I'm also, like, super into, like, the whole, like, character sheet aspect of going through the Avengers. Like, what are their strengths, weaknesses, mm-hmm. attitudes, totally. all that stuff. Yeah, I'm super excited. It's also, like, I feel like when they were starting to appear, I was, it's, like, fun. It's, like, the it's like the, the band coming out on stage. You're, like, oh, yeah. here they come, here they come. Like, you know, it's, like, the Olympians are coming. They're, we're seeing them. Like, it's, like, our, our old friends, you know, my old yeah. child. Yeah. My childhood friends are coming out. 
and people I didn't like and like you know but it's still like our, <laughs> it's like our childhood playmates are coming out and we're like oh here we go you know I mean as a kid I didn't see a difference between the Spice Girls and the Olympian goddesses like well, it was like which one are you like yeah. I was always Scary Spice you know what I mean like I was always yeah. Artemis like this is my thing you know so awesome yeah it's it's just it's one of those things where it for sure becomes like you have your gods that you feel an affinity towards and you have your gods that you're like whoa no not so much but yeah. one of the things that I think I'm going to enjoy the most is sort of being able to spend an entire episode focusing on the depth and the nuance of each of these characters and because yeah, they're so complicated mm-hmm. too and everybody kind of thinks they know them you know but all they know is sort of like a two-dimensional caricature of like whatever sort of common stories have been told in whatever way they've been told so being able to like kind of shed light on like even simple weird silly things like you know sneezes in ancient greece were sacred to demeter because of hay fever oh my that's, that's hilarious straight up <laughs> straight up the sneeze you were like mm, fertility i'm they, re- they really didn't leave any detail no unturned. no they did not <laughs> like... no the only person who left the stone unturned was cronus da-da-da that's stone that stone is really the the sort of fallen hero (laughs) we should trade trade the the stone for zeus just trade him back just trade him back well there actually was there is a stone talked about in ancient greece that is a landmark that they've tried to i think they even have like uh marked out today that you can visit and it's this great stone and it's supposed to be this is the stone that Cronus swallowed thinking it was zeus Wow. I know. It's I, I love it. Some good so, tourist shit. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's great. Listen, there's a reason that these stories have lasted for 5,000 years. Like, that yeah. is, that's the truth of it all, awesome. you know? Yeah. Oh, I did want to point out, just for all of our listeners, um, we decided to structure the podcast in a certain way, and I haven't necessarily explained it fully at this point, but we're going to do three episodes like we've been doing, and then our fourth episode is going to be what we call a concept episode, where we're basically going to tackle larger concepts that were brought up in the previous previous three episodes and this contributed to how we ordered the olympians because we're gonna do them three at a time and do a concept episode so it's going to be really really um cool for us because we'll be able to talk about other mythologies we'll be able to talk about other stories that are not necessarily um the ones that we've been covering so far so you know for example um episodes nine is hera 10 is Demeter, Persephone, and Hecate, although we might do a separate Hecate episode. I think we should. Uh, And uh, episode 11 is Athena. So in episode 12, we're going to talk about maiden, mother, and crone archetypes, triple goddesses, um, mother goddesses versus virgin goddesses, and sort of like where we find ourselves as current-day feminists addressing these deities and, you know, the complexity of their stories and their personalities. So that's what we're going to be doing. Um, Next week, we're probably going to focus a lot on creation myths and wars of the gods. Um, I saved the Ages of Man for next week because it's actually a really interesting thing that has a lot of parallels in different cultures that I wanted to be able to tackle with Mm. everybody. So, and Wars of the Gods is, like, super cool. Like, we can talk about Ragnarok next week, you know, for the Norse. and Awesome. um, (laughs) Revelations in the Bible and, like, you know, the wild shit that goes on with John the Revelator who was basically on a fucking acid trip. So, yeah, it's going to be really wild. We're really excited about it. So we just want to thank you again for joining us. This has been a wild ride for us. We're having a great time, and we really, really hope that you are having a great time as well. Yeah. I'm having a great time. (laughs) 
All right, so that's it from us here at When God Was Queer. And from every to all of you, wherever you are, we say... Okay, by the way, it's Be Gay, Do Crime. Do crime. Do crime. Not crimes. That's crime, happened... Singular. Oh, why not multiple That's crimes. happened twice. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because I'm always like, crimes. Yeah. Do crime. Multiple, yeah, all of, of them. them. Oh, okay. Be so Gay, crime. Be okay. Gay, Do, do Felonies. <laughs> Listen, I'm all about, the like, gay, if we want to extend it licks, and be like, like, you know, be queer, <laughs> as in fuck you, burn a church, shoot a cop. Like, I'm yeah, all about. cops. Yeah, whatever. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, from us here to you, wherever the fuck you are, be, be gay, gay, do, do crime. crime. The gods, the gods are, are always watching. 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 <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. Bye. bye.